for the most part, as we were growing up, it was often that old people had to deal with that kind of stuff. And the mortality rate in the United States is, is falling. So now people are dying younger. And so now this means that younger generations have to deal with death at an alarming rate. And we have not been trained on what to do and how to handle it. And if you would look carefully, you find that TikTok and uh, Instagram and Facebook and whatever else might come up next doesn't really do due diligence and handling that. And the only thing it can be is a distraction uh, from the pain that people are suffering. And at the very worst, it could plant seeds in a heart and mind that take a grieving soul in the wrong direction. Um, as all of us search for answers to some of life's most challenging situations, the World Wide Web, internet, it tries to offer solutions. And just like a democracy, it offers solutions based off the people. So it's a bunch of advice given by a bunch of flawed individuals. And you are left to sort through what will work and what doesn't work. And some of us have grown weary and we're running out of time. With every passing year, we're getting older. Situations are getting harder. I wish I could tell you that as you get older, things get easier. They do not. As you get older, things get more difficult. This is important because some of you at a young age already had it difficult. So when I tell you it's going to get harder as you get older, you already just want to shut down and run out the door. But unfortunately, dear loved ones, you have to live. You have to live and you are, I assure you, uncertain still about the afterlife. So taking your own life is a gamble when you're really not sure how it's gonna go. It is the finite of all finites. It is done when it is done. You cannot undo, I took my own life. It's, you throw that out there, you don't know how it's gonna end. So while we contemplate suicide because life is increasingly challenging and difficult, there are too many uncertainties about the hereafter that we're really slow to move on that. And that's just the mercy of God. So then you find yourself day after day living with the pain, the challenges. We try to find people that will help anesthetize us, relationships, sex, affection, anything that will help to dull the pain, distract us from it, pills, alcohol, marijuana, working a lot, overworking, overdoing, anything to distract us from a persistent nagging of life itself. You look at a congregation full of broken hearts, tough lives. I wish I could say it's gonna get better. 
Can't say that. But I can say you will get better. You've got to get better. You cannot stay in this place. Come on now, y'all don't want to help me preach. You can't stay like this, baby. You can't stay high in yourself away, doping it away. You can't stay distracted away. You can't stay mad away. You can't, stay, you can't love it away. You can't sex it away. You can't drink it away. You have got to get better. And I promise you this, with Christ, you will get better. You'll get better. It's a tough pill to swallow, but it's reality. And anybody that's trying to sell you some type of emotional wolf ticket to make you think that situations just naturally get better, you've already seen that in your young years. You see that in your older years. They do not. The solution is not that a dying world gets better. It's dying. The solution is that those who are dying can have real life. Today's message is unique because I believe we're going to end our study on Acts today. It's week 20 <laughs> on the Acts of the Saints where we're trying to figure out how God intended for us to live so we can look at the New Testament Christians and they should be the ones that tell us how Christianity should look. And for the most part, New Christians in the modern era don't believe that we're supposed to look like the people in the Bible. Like they feel somehow that the world has changed so much that we're not supposed to look like that. It's supposed to be different. People got married younger, so it's okay if we have sex because I love you. Because back in the day, they got married young. And it's okay if, you know, this is happening. And I have to do the best I can because, you know, homosexuality is everywhere. Homosexuality was everywhere in the Bible. It was so prevalent that they had to make laws and rules against it. Not for unbelievers. The apostles had to write about it for believers. The letters that Paul wrote were to churches. So when everybody's talking about, oh, I can't believe it's almost homosexuality in the church. It has always been homosexuality <laughs> So much that they had to address it in early epistles, saying, hey, this thing we should not be doing. I don't care what people outside the church do. That's their business. Hello, somebody. But in church, it has to uni look uniquely different. You have to live different. And what we're finding is that people are the same in the Bible days as they are in these days. There was slavery, disenfranchisement. Hello, somebody. There were political uprisings and injustices. Hello. There were people who were always beaten or, or the authority was overly, uh, overly aggressive, like Black Lives Matter retaliations, and there was fake news. And I mean, it's, all, it's been there. And if the problems have always been the same, listen to me. The problems have all, you think they have drugs back in the Bible day? They probably had the all natural, that good, good that come out. <laughs> that Rastafarian, that, that, that completely organic. <laughs> they ain't cut that with nothing. <laughs> they had wine, spirits, 
alcohol. They had prostitutes, pornography. They etched them on the walls. <laughs> oh, Hilga. <laughs> I think that's a boob. I can't really tell. Uh, uh. Oh. <laughs> They're trying to read the script on the wall like we tried to look through this, the lines on when the channels used to be blocked, the little squiggly lines. I think that's a boob. <laughs> no, like, oh, yeah, I never tried it. Well, some of these new generations, they ain't had to deal with that. They can't. They came straight with internet, you know, they were just born right into access to free porn. See, back in the day, we didn't have that. We had to like, your pop, your parents had to had to lock the channels. You had to have HBO, but it was locked. And so when you or turned it on, it'd be like these little squiggly lines. And you'd be trying to be like, I, I think that's a butt. You think that's a butt? I think that's a butt. That's skinematic. <laughs> See that, Eddie? I don't know nothing about that. And now y'all can just instantly get lewd things, you know. You had to go to a shop in the back and look like some perv. <laughs> now you can order things discreetly to your house. Ooh. Watch the setup here. What can we give you that will distract you from real living? What can we give you that will numb the pain so that you don't ever really want to figure out why you're here? What can we do? And anything we could do to just get you to continue to be a slave to society is exactly what we're gonna do. You need some weed? Come on, let's localize this weed. Let's, let's, let's go to legalize it for you, yeah? Let's legalize weed so you can be just chill. I ain't never seen a person high on weed be adamant about anything. I mean, they can sit there and talk like it, but they never really do anything when they're stoned. And as soon as they run into a problem stone, they just say, nah, man, it ain't even worth it, man. I'm good, I'm good. Hello? So, so in essence, all of society is influenced by Satan to make sure that you drown out every real passion that you have because you cannot process pain. Nor do you understand that there are benefits to pain. I had a whole debate with Sister Janai about this. Cause I, cause Brother Casey said something about it hurts good. And, and Sister Janai and Sister Sheena said, ain't no such thing as a hurt good. There is a hurt good, it still hurts, but it is good. And that is the problem with not just the younger generation, but the newer generation is that they don't recognize that pain has purpose. And they believe Satan's lies that everything needs to feel good. You need to want to do it. You need to have it in your heart and your spirit. I need to agree with it. I need, I don't, I don't want to just do it, you know, obligatory. I want to actually be, no, no. Some things you just have to do and you don't like it. And it is very painful and it is necessary. And if it was not pain there, then it would not be beneficial to you because unfortunately you too are a dying individual who needs pain to shape you because pleasure does not. I know you're thinking, Lord, if you just make it easy for me, if you just make my life easy for me, I promise I'll do right. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. 
And the more good and the easier we make it for you, the more you take advantage. Hello? Why do you think everybody's so obese? Convenience. We can get food 24 hours a day. We have preservatives that keeps food for weeks on end. We have refrigerators that keep it cool and freezers that keep it frozen and eat microwaves that instantly, instantly cook, instantly cook it for you. You can eat any time of day you want. Can you imagine if you could only eat? See, we've traveled to some places where you stepped out and the sun was down and all the restaurants closed. We'll be like, oh, we're gonna eat. What we gonna eat down here in, 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 in South Africa? Nothing is what you're going to eat. Every, everything's closed. Everything's there's not a not a restaurant open on the island. Not a restaurant. But it, it's it's only seven thirty. Yeah, we close at sunset. We as Americans, a quick trip. I do a pretzel and some cheese. You ain't got to worry about me. No. So our conveniences, what do we do? We overindulge in our conveniences. Hello? You know, your mom and daddy trust you, so you can go out with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, whatever, and, and you're only supposed to do this much, and then you did a little bit more. You can go out to this time, but then you stayed a little bit later. So you can't tell me that when people give you what you say you want, that this somehow you become automatically a good steward of it. It is pain that taught you consequences that thus told you I should probably not abuse this privilege. But at the threat of nothing, you will keep going. How fast did you go up? There was no speed limit. You could not get a ticket. You do it with laws and tickets. How fast would you go and how often would you go that fast? And is that healthy or safe for you? It's not even safe for other people. Like if you want to put your life on the line, that's one thing, but you are willing to put everybody who is in your circumference life on the line as you proceed to I know, this seems like, where is she going with this? I'm, I'm going somewhere. Hello? Today, I want to look at the book of Acts. I think this is part 20. I want to sub subtitle this one. <laughs> um, how to make it through a storm. How to make it through a storm. Some of you might be in a storm. Some of you are in a storm. Some of you have been through storms. And all of us will have another storm. Don't even see him like, oh, Pastor, you're speaking out over my life. It is inevitable. It's inevitable. And what Satan and the world likes to trick you is to believe that somehow storms and problems are unexpected, peculiar. Like, ooh, that's different. There's a storm in my life, excuse me. 
This is unique. Oh, woe is me. Here's a storm. That is That should not be so shocking to you. But Satan has convinced you through Instagram and Facebook that everything is edited and beautiful. Hello, somebody. With little spurts of difficulty. And the only time you get a spurt and a realization of somebody else's difficulty is based off of your searches. So if you don't want to deal with problems, then you don't see many posts about people with problems. Let me help you. It's an algorithm. Hello, somebody. All your social media is an algorithm. So if you don't want to deal with any drama or problems, you don't tend to look at those posts very long, right? So this means that it designs all of your posts and suggestions based off of things that you prefer to look at. Which then, if you only prefer to look at cool stuff, happy stuff, nice stuff, cats, dogs, lineups, hair colors, then this is all you're going to get. If you like to look at travel videos and people living their best life, hashtag blessed, hashtag anonymous hashtag, you know, what, this is all you're going to get. If you like to look at black love and couples that are in love, and, and then this is all, hello, somebody. And so in essence, when you look at the world through your cell phone, hello, 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 you begin to think that everybody else is having an amazing time time and everybody else's life is absolutely wonderful and thus this is how my life should be and oh if my life could oh if I could only work slay and pray oh if I could only take a vacay oh if I could only get to a size six oh if I could get beefed up and bulked up oh if I could have money to buy that biz oh if I could have stacks and bundles and bags hello somebody whether you realize it or not you've already conditioned yourself to be adverse to storms. You've conditioned yourself to think that pain is a stranger. It's some unwanted situation because nobody wants to post pain all the time, nor do you want to see it. So since you decide to get your viewpoint of the world from your cell phone, and that viewpoint is created by you, then you become your own enemy. You've set things up to tell you that this type of life is normal and your life is abnormal. I'll wait, I'll wait. Like, oh, this, this, this is not really happening to everybody. This is just happening to me. I'm the only, it seems it like I should be over here with these people doing great but I'm always over here doing bad. When people ask, they mention about how I pastor so closely, how I let people see inside of my life, for real, for real. Sun up to sundown, I ain't got no secrets. One of the benefits of a transparent life as a pastor, as a leader, is one, people have a hard time trusting authority. Men and women of the cloth have degraded it so that nobody wants to believe or trust that God is after who he says. So this gives you a, a firsthand look. The second is I go through so much. I'm not a pastor. Oh, I believe in God. I'm just coasting along. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Bless it's raining down because I'm so obedient. Oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, my life is so great. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag. When you really see my life, you recognize, oh. Just, pastor, your, your arm falling off. Put, Put that, put that back up there. Oh, that's not, that can't be right. 
as Mama Jean says, Pastor, you just can't seem to catch a break, can you? Nope. So thus, if you get to see that a person that loves God is inundated with pain and problems and still loves God, then maybe this is the norm about how life should go and not somehow the abnormality. Most of you are struggling because you don't want to accept that sunshine and rain go together. You don't want to accept that in order for a flower to bloom, you need both sunshine and rain. They're like, oh, what is this storm coming? Oh, um, didn't you say you needed water? I need this much water, but you also need this debris to move out the way. You need me to pull up these weeds. Hello, somebody. All kinds of work that has to happen in a storm. When we're looking at the last end of, of, of Acts chapter 22, 20 something, 21. In Acts chapter 21, Paul is, as we left off last week, Paul has left, uh, where did he leave? Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem. But then Jerusalem, he was, he was trying to get to Jerusalem in time for uh, Pentecost. Sunday. And when he got to Jerusalem, he, he met adversity as everyone told him, when you go to Jerusalem, they're going to try to kill you. They're going to put you in chains. And they put him in chains. Uh, he went to one governor. Let's go there. Uh, chapter 20, 21. A mob takes him. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are irate with Paul's preaching. They bring them before the council. They want them locked up and put in bars. They bring them for, before the elders. And Paul begins to preach. He begins to explain that Christ, the crucified Jesus, is the Messiah. He's the king of the world. And to the Jewish people, more specifically, he says, hey, y'all, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And this is hard for a Jew to accept because number one, we just crucified him. We, you can't tell us he is the king. Does that mean we really, we really did something wrong? And number two, how could the king be crucified? How could he die? That king was supposed to live. They say, no, 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 he did. When you crucified him, he rose from the dead three days later. And there are hundreds of people that can prove it. Hundreds of people that saw him. People that lived with him for years saw him, talked to him, touched him. He rose from the dead. Okay, well, where is he? He rose from the dead. Then hundreds of people saw him ascend, literally lift up from the ground and disappear into the clouds. They believed it so, they saw it so, that they're dying at the threat of it. Say it's a lie, it's not a lie. Say it's a lie, it's not a lie. You didn't see it, I did see it. You don't, that wasn't it, I did. He talked with them, taught them after he rose from the dead. 
So Paul had to tell the Jews, yeah, that Jesus that y'all said wasn't it. He was it. He was sure enough it. And this is problematic because nobody wants to really look at how wrong they are. The mere presence of Jesus, both in death and resurrection, causes men and women then and now to look at how wrong we really are. We'd give anything to stop from seeing this. We'd be mad at everybody. Huh? We'd be angry about stuff that happened a long time ago. We'll pull that back up. No, you weren't there. Yeah, but you're really more so mad at something else. Nah, nah, it's this. It ain't. You got over that. You got past that. But you got to use this again because this is a great distraction from the current identification of how wrong you are. Lied on the church. Stole some money. Finesse some stuff. Threw the pastor under the bus. Threw somebody else. Got somebody else wrapped up in sin. You just, I can't, I can't be looking at all this. Let me just, let me, let me see, see, what you don't understand is when I was a little girl, when I was a little boy, this is what happened. What you don't understand is like five years ago, somebody did this to me. And all of that may be true, but you've been living pretty decent apart from that. Why is it now a problem? Because we don't want to deal with what is really happening on the inside of us. Because that's painful. I like to think of myself as a decent person. And if I really look at this, I am not decent. Anybody ever been there? Hello, somebody. I had to really look at myself and be like, ooh, I am foul. Not a little bit foul, like I have bad thoughts. No, 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 no. I've done some things with these thoughts. Said some things, acted on some things, injured other people with some things. In our minds, we know that we're taught that Jesus will forgive us. But it does not stop us from feeling overwhelmed by the gravity of what we've done wrong and almost impossible that the Lord can forgive us. Because if he forgives me of this foulness, this also means that I have to live rightly. I'm going to show it to you. And who, I don't know if I can live rightly. That's, that's, that's a tall order. Because if you really do forgive me and save me, I'm afraid you're going to save me and I'm going to do it again. Anybody ever been there? I'm afraid you're going to forgive me. I'm going to slip up again. I'm going to get to it. Hello, somebody. Yes, Pastor, that part. What's, what's the answer? <laughs> so I can't deal with how foul I am because as foul as I am, if I find out that you really do forgive me in my complete foulness, then I am obligated to do better, to be more right, to live rightly. And I am afraid that I cannot do that. I don't have the ability. What you fail to recognize about the reason why Christ died, it wasn't just for your forgiveness. God himself died on the cross so that you 
might be able to have his spirit inside of you. The thing that gives you the power to live rightly when you feel completely powerless. I don't feel like I can resist that temptation again. I don't feel like I, I can walk away from it again. And this makes me afraid. He says, but I will give you power. So that when you come face to face with that thing, you can walk away. You come face to face with it. You can go through it. You don't have to give in to it. And if you believe that, you will surely see fruit of that life. So Christ's death wasn't just forgiving of sins. It's that his spirit might be able to dwell in very wicked flesh. His flesh dying on the cross sanctifies your flesh by his blood so that his spirit can now dwell in you. And sin is condemned to your body and not to your soul, your spirit, your heart, your mind. And he can dwell there so you can stand and withstand some of the temptations that you might have. Hello? And not have to be afraid. Huh? I guess I'm only talking to real believers. Real Christians. Because real Christians, they're the ones afraid of messing up. Real Christians is afraid of messing up. Fake Christians, oh, the Lord forgive me. You already tapped out. Hello? Stop. All right. Where was I? Something about fake Christians. And you're not going to like this message. You're not going to like me. Real Christians will. To speed forward here, Paul was challenged by the Jews. They sent him to the Sanhedrin. They wanted to beat him up. They did beat him up, rough him up a little bit. Felix, the governor of Jerusalem at the time, sent guards to stop this, this mob that was trying to abuse him. Foundation of the exclusivity of Jewish life. Paul was preaching that people that are not Jews can come to know God. Without, they don't even have to do Jewish stuff. That through Christ, they could be as holy as the next holy Jew. They ain't even got to do no circumcision. They ain't got to sacrifice no lambs. This, what you mean? They, people need to do this stuff because God is amazingly holy and they need to line up. And Paul was like, mm, through Christ, I think if they believe in Christ, that should be sufficient. The fear of the established religion is that if you tell people that all their sins are forgiven, that they're not going to do anything but sin more. So you got to give them rules and stuff to stop them from sinning more. Hello? Because if you give them a free pass, huh, then they're going to take advantage of it. And Paul is saying, not the real ones. Not those who sincerely believe that they are saved. And so he has this, this encounter that proves that point. Because when you really believe you're saved, you do not take advantage of the grace and mercy of God. The reason you might have in the past is because you really did not believe in your heart 
that God has saved you. There's a part of you that still believed you're still unworthy. You have to earn it. You're too far gone. You're not really sure how it's going to play out. There's a part of disbelief still residue residing in your heart. Hello? So then you feel like you got to do a lot. I got I to prove that I, I'm worthy of salvation. I got I to prove that, that God did right by saving me. And that don't work because you're only trying to prove it to yourself. But people that fully believe it, I'm going to show it to you in, this, in, a, in the scripture. They don't take advantage of the, of the grace and mercy of God. I'm going to show it to you. So as, as Paul had an encounter with the Jerusalem Sanhedrin, these religious people, they put charges on him lying against them. You know you had Greeks in the temple. I ain't have no Greeks in the temple. You know you was causing a riot. How was I causing a riot? Okay, I came in. I took a Nazarite vow with four people that are at the end of their Nazarene vow. I took my vow with them, cleansed myself from being with all these uh, Gentiles because a Jew cannot be with Gentiles and then come into the temple. I cleansed myself for four, going on seven days. I came in, paid my vows. I caused no riot. It was just me and a couple of Nazarenes, all right, which is like really, really holy people, okay? I did they vow with them, the last part. I ain't caused no riot. Yes, you did. And so, they, so they wanted Felix to kill him, the governor. Felix said, um, from what I can tell, he has not done anything wrong enough to deserve killing. <laughs> it seems to me like y'all got a problem of theology. Because Paul says, Jesus is the God that all the Jews was looking for. And y'all say Jesus wasn't. So I believe that's an in-house problem. Right? Y'all need to work out your theology, your, your belief system. <laughs> it's going awry. So I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't see nothing that is deserving of change. So Felix said, I don't know. Let me get the commander that stopped the mob in the first place to come down, show me what he thought. In the meantime, Felix gets his wife, who's Jewish. And he wants to hear with his wife this teaching about this new Christian thing with Christ. They called it the way. He says, I'm going to bring my wife. Paul, go ahead. Say, say that stuff you were saying again. Listen to this. And so he starts saying again how Jesus fulfilled the law. And, and what specifically what he teaches He teaches, he begins to expound upon righteousness. Where is that at? Okay, there we go. Verse 20, chapter 24. Um, so Felix gets his wife, Drusilla. Drusilla. How, how come she don't even sound pretty? Drusilla. All right, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul, and they heard him concerning faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Told you. When we preach, we're not just preaching, oh, believe, believe, believe. I can reason with you about righteousness, about smoking weed, having sex, how the world is set up, how society is setting you up for failure. I found out one of my teens was smoking weed some time ago. And what bothered me about it, because I do believe there are medicinal reasons for, for marijuana. That's not the point. But this wasn't medicinal. This is recreational. And what bothers me is that 
A child's brain is not fully developed until 21 to 25 years old. Your body has an endocannabis system. Hear the word cannabis? Yeah. Your body makes its own cannabis to help calm you, to help bring your anxiety levels down, to help you manage mood swings and frustrations. God already put that system in you. When we take external cannabis, hello, on a consistent basis, we are telling our body that you don't need to make any more cannabis. We have enough. So the more you take it, when people say you can't be addicted to weed, yes, you can. Because your body does no, is no longer making enough of the hormone that calms you in times of stress, adversity, and anger. It doesn't have the, the hormone that helps to relax you. So now when you get all agitated and upset, I just need to get high. Yeah, you do. Because you've been getting high. And now you cannot function without a joint. Hello, somebody. I talk, I'm talking to everybody in here. Don't, don't, don't look at me like this. Let me tell these babies something. Don't, don't believe these church folk, okay? They over here looking like they all cleaned up. Look at me. Ninja, come on. The biggest weed heads is in the church. <laughs> Taking God's good tithes and offers and going to the dope dealer, going to the plug. You, you, you something else. I tell you, I tell you right now, I tell you right now. So before your brain could even be developed, you already start changing its structure. What frustrates me about this is that you will grow up thinking that something is wrong with you. That you just don't know how to control yourself. You always had anger problems. You always had this kind of problem. You rarely never, you had always had a bad memory. You were never smart enough. You were never this. And you will grow up believing this about yourself when all you really did was change the format of your brain unnecessarily. And we will never know who you're really supposed to be because you decided to participate in something that is only done with adults under the supervision of a doctor. So now we got whole bobs of young adults growing up thinking this is who they are. Just to form their whole selves. And the catch about this is in order to reverse this, you have to go through all the pain of life and try to train your body to supply the endocannabis it needs. So when you're angry, you can't smoke. You got to sit there and feel that anger. When you're mad, you can't smoke. You got to sit there and go through that pain. Oh, look at here. Is now pain starting to rebuild your brain? Is now pain starting to rebuild your emotions, your hormones? Pain is doing that. That frustration, that anger, that pain is putting a demand on your physiology saying we need something. And we want to get it the way God made us to get it. Amen. So you pull on God, your body, your God talks to your body. The two of them start trying to work this thing out. Hello? 
But no, you want to go to Satan and get his weeds. Because he says there's no strings attached. You trust him more than you trust God. I don't know why. Everybody knows somebody that got tricked out with some bad weed. Went crazy. Every, look, every person that smokes weed knows somebody. You would think you'd stop smoking. Hello? <laughs> so Drusilla and Felix came and listened to Paul. And Paul reasoned. I mean, he reasoned with them about stuff. I would imagine it's about weed smoking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he talked to them about self-control. Uh-huh. This is verse 25 of chapter 24. He talked to them about the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Man, leave me alone, man. Go on somewhere with all that. <laughs> I mean, when it, let me, I got some stuff going on in my life right now. When, when I get done with this, then I, I'll come back to you. That's what people say to church all the time. Meanwhile, he also hoped that the money would be given by him, by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, okay, Felix was like, look, Paul could just bribe me. I'll let him go with some money. <laughs> Hello? Paul was like, nah, I'm going to stay a prisoner for two years and reason with you about righteousness, self-control, and Christ being the Messiah. I would have been paid that money. I ain't standing here with you for two years. <laughs> but he did. And Felix would call him in. All right, now go ahead. Tell me about this Jesus again. Oh, no, no, no. Lock him back up. Lock him back up. <laughs> At least start saying something, you know, that he might dig. Like, yeah, so, you know, God, he'll, he'll bless you your socks off. He'll get everything you want. God will turn all your wrongs to right. He'll make everything happen. Come on, pull on him. Just, I started preaching something, something just great to make you just so happy and let me go. Paul didn't. He preached the gospel. He preached the truth to Felix and his wife, Drusilla, for two years until somebody else took Felix's job. A guy by the name of Festus, I think. These are some terrible names. All right. Yeah. Porcius, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, Felix. And so he wanted to do the Jews a favor because the Jews were a huge deal. All right. A big deal in all of the empire, the Roman Empire. They were everywhere because they had been, you know, uh, what's the word? I'm going to start with a D. Dispersed, diasporaed, all right, um, out into the rest of the world. Um, and so now Jews were everywhere. They had synagogues all over the world. And Jerusalem was the center of this. So Festus wanted to get in good graces with the Jews. Now, when I say they were all over the world, they were rich. The Jews had influence, money, power, the ear and the heart of people. If you tell people God said, you can get them just do about just about anything. So they had the people's hearts. 
and a large portion of the Roman Empire because of it. So Festus wanted to, he's just new. I just got this new job. Hello, hello, Jerusalem. Hello, Jerusalem Jews. Hello, everyone. Yes, I like you too. I want you to like me. You want me to keep Paul in prison? Sure. So in order to do a favor for the Jews, he keeps Paul in prison. Now when Festus had come, he wanted to do the Jews a favor. Then the Jews said, okay, thank you so much. Festus goes down to Jerusalem to sit with the Jews, you know, pay his respects, smooge with them for a couple of months, right? Goes down there. The Jews say, listen, we appreciate you keeping Paul in prison, um, but we really want him dead. Festus like, the man is in prison. Nah, we want him out of here. As long as he stay alive, these people believe in that there is still the way. We need him out. Festus says, I can't kill him. He's a Roman citizen, all right? Which means he has to have a, a court. He's got to go to court. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to have a trial. You got to tell me why, what he did in order to be murdered and and to be put to death. And he ain't done nothing. They said it's cool. You ain't even got to kill him. Just send him back down here to us because they put him in Caesarea. Send him back down here to Jerusalem. And when you are transporting him, we'll ambush y'all. That way your hands is clean, and we can kill him. Festus was like, yeah, oh, y'all is really leveling this up, man. I mean, my guy, you know, you can tell he's like, I'm in over my head. I done, I done tried to be nice to y'all. Now y'all really trying to kill a man. I <laughs> so he's like, yeah, 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 cool. That's what, yeah, that's what we'll do. So he says, he goes back to home. He gets all his, gets a couple of soldiers, a couple of guards that have like 200 soldiers and horsemen. And he just, he tricks out Paul's entourage with armies and he writes a letter to a uh the king agrippa all right who was over him his boss okay so so festus was like a little regional like a little city governor okay king agrippa is like under like big regions and then it's caesar himself okay so it's like king agrippa and regions huge regions y'all are y'all following this okay all right, he's like, he's like overall, you know. So he's like, oh, you go to king. Of, so it's governors, kings, emperors. Does that make sense? The kingpin is the emperor, all right? So the king is like, next. So he sends a letter to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, um, I'm sending this dude, Paul, to you. He's a Roman, all right? The Jews are trying to kill him. I stopped them from trying to kill him. They want me to put him to death. I can't figure out what he's done to put him to death. But I know you understand a lot about Jewish culture. You're big on it. All right. So can you interrogate this man and figure out what the heck he did? So when I send him to Caesar, I can say what he's charged with. Because right now, we have no charges. We are keeping a man in prison, and we have no charges against him. My predecessor kept him in here. I feel like I need to keep him in here. Now they want to level it up and they want to kill him. So um, we need some charges. Since you know Jewish culture so much, can you like dig into what he's saying? So when we send him to Caesar, we can say this is what he's charged with. King Agrippa, he didn't say yes or no because the man was already at a step when he showed up. So (laughs) Paul was already there. So there you have it. Paul then goes back uh, to Caesarea. 
He stands in, in front of King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, Paul, state your claim. And Paul runs it. He tells the king, King, you know, all these Jews in here can tell you, I used to be the chiefest of Jews. I used to be the one persecuting these people that they call Christians. I was there when, they, when, we, when we killed the first Christian after Christ, which was Stephen the martyr. He said, I was there. I held his clothes. I voted against them. I held their clothes while they brutalized and killed this man. I chased Christians from county to county to county, hello, from state to state, trying to make sure that if any other Christian I ever found out, I am known in these streets as being the one that comes and hunts down Christians. King Agrippa, you know that about me. He says, but I had an encounter. And he starts to tell him about what happened to him on the street called Straight. How a bright light shone. He said, a bright light shone in my face, blinded me. And we heard a voice. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, I don't even know who you are. He said, it's me, Jesus of Nazareth, dude. You is killing me. Why are you killing my people? Why are you killing me? I was blind for three days, King Agrippa. And the voice told me to go to this other place and wait for a man named Ananias. And Ananias got a vision from God, and God told him to come to the same place that I was at. This is before the Internet. They went on the cell phone saying, hey, meet me here. It was just about God had to tell you, God had to tell me, and then we both had to be at the right place at the right time. And Ananias came, did what God told him to do, laid hands on me, scales fall from my eyes. I can now see. He said, what are you waiting on? Get baptized. King Agrippa, I got baptized, and I was sent out to the Jews. He said, don't stay in Jerusalem because they don't receive you here. And God sent me out to the Gentiles. He said, and what people are mad about, King Agrippa? He said, because you know you know. They're mad because King Agrippa was borderline Jewish. He, was, he wasn't really Jewish, but he was, oh, he wanted to get in. He was like, King Agrippa, you know. The only thing I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on trial for is because I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that Christ was the first one to be resurrected in the manner that we will be resurrected. This is a big deal. And most people don't recognize how resurrection is so important. We all know about dying and going to heaven or hell. But that's not where the story ends. You don't just go to heaven and stay in heaven forever. Hello? Do y'all know this? Do you know this? No? No. See, the Bible, see, that's what's wrong with black church, is we don't tell you the rest of the story. You don't stay in heaven forever. According to the Bible, numerous books and chapters in the same Bible, you will be raised from the dead. Your spirit that was in heaven will go back into do this. that body, that one. And you will live in this body, on this new earth, again. It's easy for us to believe that we can be a spirit, because we know like, when we don't say nothing, we can still be thinking on the inside. Yeah, I'm definitely a spirit. That's easy. Yeah, 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 I'm spirit. Look at that. Right? I have an existence beyond my flesh. Right? We know that. Right? What we can't figure out is when you take this spirit and you're going to put this spirit back in that body, yes, I'm going to take it from dust and ashes. 
and I'm going to put it all back together again. And I'm going to take not just a random spirit, I'm going to take your spirit and breathe your spirit back into that body. Then what are we going to do? You're going to live. Like how you living now, but way better. Way better. See, now, when you hear this, since you didn't know this, don't that make more sense? Because who want to be a spirit absent of their body forever? We don't even know what that's like. I don't want to be floating around. No, I need to eat something. I, I need to drink something. I need, I need to play some f football or something. I, 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 I can't just be over here playing the harp all day. No, no. Don't even sound appealing. Because we're not created to be spirits. We're created to be in the image of God, of the earth, but born of God. He made us from the dirt so that we could rule and have dominion on earth stuff. We speak to the earth on behalf of God, who we're created in the image of. We're supposed to run it. I like to think, okay, hear me out. That when he make the new earth and it's all the Armageddon, it's a big old war, when everything comes, then he's like, ah, da, 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 da. we come back down and with your Jesus, we got to glorify bodies. Ah, we're going to kill all y'all. Y'all should have listened to Jesus in the first place. You know? <laughs> and then there'll be people in charge. Okay, I personally don't want to be one of them people. I already did my in charge time. So I'm going to not be in charge there. Okay, I'm just going to be like, whatever y'all say. <laughs> I already put in my work. Okay? There's going to be people in charge. To do all kinds of stuff. Rather than creating bombs to destroy things, we can really start infinitely creating things that will restore the earth back to what God originally said. Restore animals and oceans and seas and, and all of these wonderful things. Like there's projects. Just as you can infinitely die, you can infinitely be fruitful and multiply. Who don't want to always be able to produce stuff? Now, now bear in mind, I didn't say instant. Because we still like the idea of growing things, nursing things, maturing things. That's what we're created to like. We tend to the garden, Adam and Eve. We like stuff like that. That's what we're created. So, so, you, so you tend to the babies over here. Oh, is the babies in heaven? I don't know. But there's definitely going to be some babies on earth because we have to be fruitful and multiply. So we're going to have to have some babies some kind of way. But no pain in it. That would be great. Nurture the sky, the air, the ocean. I believe there's other planets. Duh. Yep. What if we go over there and figure out what's going on over there? What's up? Y'all got some stuff over here? Y'all need some stuff? Y'all want us to help y'all make something over here? I don't know. We, we don't even know. The possibilities are endless when it comes to being fruitful and multiply. But because the uh, black church is absent of this teaching, then it does not resonate with us that we're supposed to live as if we're going to live again. We're like, oh, I'm about to be a spirit. Now I need to go ahead and enjoy this. <laughs> I'm about to be a spirit. I got to enjoy this. No, you'll live again. It's all right if everything ain't going okay right now. It's all right if I don't get my way. It's okay if I don't get everything I think I'm supposed to have. It's all right if I don't get the bag today. It's okay if I don't, you know, it's all right. I will live again. I live again, but we don't, we don't seem to recognize that. Hello? So it becomes problematic, situational. And Satan uses that fear, right? So then King Agrippa comes. He brings his wife. And Paul goes to telling him, 
He says, God then sent me, Christ sent me to the Gentiles to preach light in the midst of darkness. He says, so the only thing they're mad at, King Agrippa, is that I believe in the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. I believe that he was the first to be raised from the dead as proof that we will follow after him. That's what I believe. And that he's the Messiah that the Jewish, my brothers and sisters, are looking for. He's it. I said, King Agrippa, you could see that. All the prophecies. And King Agrippa said, oh, so you trying to make me a Christian? <laughs> Paul was like, yep. I wish all y'all out here would believe. I wish everybody would have the same view as I have and be in my seat except for the chains, he says. Other than that, yes, I want you to be a Christian. Yes, I, wanna, I want you to know the way. Hello? So Paul goes tells and talks to King Agrippa about it. King Agrippa then says, this man, <laughs> he said, he almost persuaded me, Paul, to be a Christian. I am so close. He said, but there's nothing deserving of his death. Nothing. But he appealed to Caesar. He said, King Agrippa said, we need to let him go. But because he's a Roman citizen, which trumps being Jewish, because Rome, Jew, the Israel is now under Rome. And Paul was born a Roman citizen and a Jew. So Paul says, y'all can't put me to death. Before you put me to death, uh-uh, I make an appeal to Caesar, take me to my people. Because he did that, King Agrippa couldn't let him go. You gotta go talk to Caesar. Yeah, I know, right? But Paul was like, uh, they're trying to kill me, uh-uh, uh-uh, I wanna appeal to Caesar. Right? But King Agrippa said, man, if he didn't appeal to Caesar, we could just let him go, because these, these Jewish people is tripping, all right? They may not like him, but he ain't done nothing wrong to deserve death. But now they gotta send him to Caesar. Put politics, right? Politics. So they put him, they put him on the ship, headed to Rome. Dun dun dun. He's on his way to Rome, and Paul says to the Augustan regiment, I dream, this is chapter 27. A dramatium uh, is the name of the ship. There's <laughs> a couple of people that were over the ship, the captain of the ship. It's about 200 plus uh, boat people, sailors, prisoners, other prisoners are on the ship. And Paul tells them, uh, guys, it's after the, the festival um, uh, of atonement, the day of atonement, and um, we probably don't want to sail right now. Because the seas are going to be rough. They was like, look, you landmen. <laughs> All right, we know the seas. I'm pretty sure we can handle it. So they go out there. Hello? They go out on this ship, and they proceed to, to sail, and a tempest, which is another name for a storm, shows up. And it's the Eurosidon, which is a northwest wind, like a cyclone kind of situation, but worse. Because the cyclone doesn't, it, 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 the wind itself is, is great. And I want to stop there for just a second. I'm at, um, 
Where is a cyclone? Maybe I can find it. You guys see it? Chapter 27, verse what? 13. When the south wind blew softly. Yeah, the Euro side, side on. All right. Uh, that wind, I believe, is a southeast wind. Excuse me, not southwest. Southeast wind that stirs up broad waves. I want to just stop here for a second. Most of us, anybody ever been on a ship, a boat? I assure you, you have not been on a ship or a boat like this for this type of weather. The ships we see now are not the kind of ships they had then. The ships we have now are massively larger. And these ships, which were big for their day, are nothing in comparison of size. Big ships like ours get on these oceans with these huge waves, and they look like tiny little tugboats, just little. And the waves are 100 feet high. I mean, not just one, several just. And the boat literally is up like this. And a huge ship, I should stop saying a boat, a huge ship is like this, okay? Not like this. It ain't doing this. It's doing this, the up on top of the wave. Then when, when the water falls, what happens to the boat? <laughs> so this, this, <laughs> it's not like, yay, we're just coasting. No, that wave is going to throw you up in the air and drop you. What I'd like to draw to your attention about storms is not the waves, that's the problem. It's the wind. Most times, you're trying to fight the waves. Without the wind that you're all side on, right, the ocean would be perfectly fine. Y'all don't want to help me today. If it wasn't for the wind, the waves would not be your problem. But because of the wind, the waves are now beating against you and trying to take you out. You decide to fight against the waves, which is not really your problem. You know why you're fighting against the waves? Because you can't fight the wind. Go ahead, fight the wind. You're looking dumb. So then you go to the next best thing that you think you can handle, and that's the waves. And most of you spend your lives trying to fight the waves that are trying to drown you because you know you cannot control the wind. Oh, Y'all don't want to help me today. Come on, how many people got anger problems? Uh-huh, yeah, 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 you a wave fighter. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you was a wave, ah, the wind, I'm going to fight against this water. Dummy, you can't. Uh-uh, you ain't going to talk to me like that, smacking the waves. You ain't going to handle me like that, smacking the waves. Yeah, I ain't going to be poor all my life, smacking the waves. Uh, you're fighting waves, and the waves are not the problem. What is the problem is the thing that you cannot see that is manipulating every other situation in your life. There is some force that is intangible to you that you cannot tell where it's going, where it's coming from, and it is pushing life against you 
in such a way that you feel like you're going to drown. can't fight against the waves but you try oh you try let's talk about how to get through a storm so you won't look stupid hello how to get through a storm water is a wonderful agent to help you get from one destination to the other if it wasn't for the wind, going by sea would be so much easier than land. Cut across the sea right quick. Versus going up in the mountains, down the mountains, over the, you know. It can make it shorter, right? But it's something about the sea that is extremely unpredictable. Sometimes you can notice the seasons, but you don't know what you're about to get. But seafaring people take their journey. The seas and the water are often associated with life in the Bible. Have you ever seen a boat or a ship on water? They create the boat or the ship so that the water holds it. The water encircles all around the ship and holds the ship up. Right? When the water is low, if the ship is too heavy, it's the bottom. The more water, the easier it is for the massive amount of ship to be held up by it, right? And then when you sail a ship, what you do is you take your, your sails, all right? Especially these back in the day. They didn't have engines, okay? They had, they had sails, big pieces of fabric. You drop these sails, and you position them with the wind. On an ideal situation, the wind and the water are aiding you in going to your des destination. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. Y'all don't want to help me today. Ideally, the wind and the water work together to help you get to an end destination. Hello? Hello? Ideally, God, this unseen force moving things in your life, works well with your life, which is the ocean, in order to get you to a specific destination. Y'all don't want to help me preach. On a great life, this is working in, in coherent. They're just, they just syncing up together. The wind slightly obey. I just simply adjust my sail to catch what God is doing, and I'm just floating along to my, oh, oh there we go. Oh, 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 there we go. All right. Oh, 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 oh. Caught the wind. Ideally. The wind, the water, and how you move your sail works in unison and a beautiful symphony to get you to shore, right? Then there's a storm. Here comes a wind that you cannot harness it. Hello? You cannot wrap your mind around it. Y'all don't want to help me today. I cannot fathom how. Somehow it is too big. I cannot use this wind to get me safe to shore. Not only can I not use this 
this wind because it's too strong, too aggressive, too much, too everything. But now it is causing everything in my life to get turned up. Now my money is turned up. Now my family is turned up. Now my And now everything about me is just hitting and beating and hitting and beating. This is a storm. This is a tempest. Have a seat. Everything's all tossed. I'm going to go through some of the steps that you need to do in order to get through a storm. I don't mean survive the storm. Because you can survive a storm. By God's grace and mercy, you could just sit there and the storm passes. I want to talk about how do you go through a storm and get to your desired location. Because most of you are stagnant when the storm hits. You make no headway. You go no further. In some cases, you're pushed back to where you came from. Hello, somebody. And if you're not careful, you can even die in the middle of your storm. You give up. You throw it in the towel. You ain't doing that no more. And now you're just sinking in the middle because of a storm. What I want to talk about is how do you go through the storm and arrive at your desired destination? Some of us don't know how to do that. It's obvious because your lives look crazy when storms hit. Like, put the sail up. No, don't put the sail up. The first step in the middle of this storm y'all don't want to help me. And the sailors, it's about 200 plus, are on this ship when the storm is going crazy. The first thing you have to recognize when you're in the midst of a storm is when to let go. You get this wrong, nothing else works. As your pastor, I come and try to counsel you on when to let something go. Let that anger go. Let that unforgiveness go. Right? Let that person go. Let that thought go. I'm trying to tell you, it's time to let that go. And what they really did in, in, on the ship example is they decided to let her drive. In essence, the ship with the sails up, trying to catch the wind to go to where they needed to go, the storm is too crazy. So they, they, can't, they can't fight against the storm. Y'all don't want to help me. They can't, they can't fight against the waves. They can't drive it through the water. The water is too raging. It's too much. Everything is tossing up inside. You understand what I'm saying? And they, they, I just can't. I can't deal with it. And he says, we let it go. We let her drive. In essence, we pulled our sails down, and we're going to say this ship is going to go in the direction that the ocean takes her. This is not giving up. This is intentional surrender. Y'all don't want to help me today. Some of you don't know how to be intentional about surrendering. Y'all don't want to help me today. You always equate surrendering to giving up. Hello, somebody. But you've got to learn when to let go. I'm not giving up on anything. I'm learning that I have to surrender because this storm is going to take me out if I keep trying to fight against the wind, fight against the water, fight against everything else. I have to surrender and let God be God. The more I fight against these waves, the more I'm going to take on water. These waves are caused by the wind, the spirit of God. 
to fight against the waves is to fight against wherever God wants to take me. And it's time that I surrender. That I'm intentional about letting go. And I have to let this thing drive. Now you just out here. Just forget, I don't even know what's going to happen. When this thing is over, I don't even know where I'm going to be, where I'm going to live, how I'm going to get my bills paid, how I'm going to go through this, who's going to be with me, who ain't going to be with me. I don't even know. Baby, you got to learn to let go. To hoist your sails and to try to catch this wind could break your sail. Could drown your ship. Could take you under. Could break it into pieces. You're going to cause more damage trying to fight against what God brought to your life than surrendering. Y'all don't want to help me. He brought it to your life for a reason. Some intangible force of God pushing life against you. I ain't no quitter. Nobody told you to quit. You have to learn when to surrender. Take down your sail. Let it drive so that you might live to fight another day. But this one you cannot fight. This storm is too big. This is out of your control. There are too many waves. Too many variants. You know how you do. You sit up at night trying to run down all the possibilities. Well, if this happened, then this. Then if that happened, then this. Then if this happened, then if that happened, then this happened. Then if this doesn't happen, then I could do this. And you start losing track. Come on, I'm helping somebody. You start losing track of how many waves you might have to avoid. How many things you might have to dodge. How many situations you might have to figure out. Oh, I'm preaching better. I'm preaching better than y'all acting today. You lose track of how many things you got to figure out. Baby, when you can't keep up with the waves, it's time to let go. can't keep up with all that well if the, 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 if the job do this then I'll do this and if they come to do that then I'll do this and if my mama say she give me this then I'll do that too many waves, too many waves. you out <laughs> bring down that sail <laughs> right <laughs> let let her drive let the ship drive there's a mechanism that is carrying you through this I like to call the ship like the ark. Hello? There's something that's going to carry you through it. You're going to have to let him drive. You ain't the ship. You the thing in the ship. You're not the ship, baby. You in the ship. And at this point, you need to let the ship drive. It's too much for you. So they, first, you have to learn when to let go. When they say it's too much. Next, they secured the skiff. Y'all gonna learn a lot of boat terms today. The skiff was on the bow. Is <laughs> attached to the bow of the ship. That's the front part of the ship. A skiff is a tiny boat. A tiny boat is attached to a big boat. Hello? And they had to secure the skiff. Second thing you have to do in the midst of trying to go through a storm. is to learn that 
what you used to be able to use to help you get to your destination ain't going to work. People used to be able to count on how you used to be able to think about it, what phone calls you used to be able to make, who you used to be able to rely on, how you used to be able to go, how you used to be able to rely on this part about yourself. I'm going to always come up on top. I'm going to always figure out something. You know, uh-huh, that ain't going to work. More importantly, a skiff, a tiny boat attached to a ship is designed because the ship is too big to get to shore. So you need the little boat. The ship is out at sea, anchored. Then you get on the little boat and you paddle to the shore. The ship can't give you curbside service. Too big. The little skiff is curbside. Doot, doot, doot. Yay, I'm here. The skiff helps you get to the last stage of your destination, the last mile. Hello? You need to secure the skiff. You need to bring that in. When in essence, what you're trying to learn is you need to recognize when your destination is not in sight. A skiff only stays out when destination is at sight. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to be truthful. You think this is about to be over soon. It ain't. You think I'm about to get past this. It ain't. All I got to do is flip this, do that, do this, and I'm going to be back on my feet again. You ain't. You better go ahead and bring that skiff in, baby, because you are not close enough to your destination. And this little boat attached to you, flailing around, looking for a destination, is going to take you under. Bring that bad boy back in, secure it to you, and recognize you are still going to have to let this take I'm going to keep my skiff out here just in case. Ain't no just in case. You're going to have to go with this. You're going to have to let her drive. You was not close to anything. If you are close to it, you can't even see it. Bring that skiff in. Ain't no plan B. I'm going to leave this out here just, uh-uh. I'm going to leave this just in case, you know, I might need to be hard, hit some hard times. Just in case Christianity don't work. Just in case this is just a phase for me. Just in case I go back to what I used to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set this up. I'm going to leave it right here. You better pull that skiff in because it's going to take you out. I'm preaching better y'all acting. All you skiffers out here. Always got something dangling on the outside just in case. You can't have a skiff out here in the middle of a tempest. That thing is going to be pulling one way. You're going to be going another way. And even if it's not enough to damage your ship, when you actually get close enough to your destination, it can't be used. Now the last mile you got to do swimming. A after you already tired. Most people don't even make it. That last mile. Hello? Mm -hmm. So you got to learn. What you could normally use to get to your destination can now hurt you in the middle of this storm. You got to figure out what that is, what your plan Bs are. Well, it just helps my mind if I just know that. Oh, yeah. Like mentally, it's just better for me if I, that's a skiff, baby. Like I know, it, like for me, it just makes me feel better that I don't feel trapped if I just have this skiff. You got a plan B to get to destination, baby. You ain't even, <laughs> you got bigger problems. 
than destination. <laughs> huh? Trying to keep something just in case. Just in case. Baby, you might die out here. Always trying to handle stuff the way you used to handle it. It's about to destroy you. Bring that skiff in. Secure it. Next, they undergirded the ship. This means they tied ropes around the hull of the ship. Under the hull, the bottom of the ship. Around the sides. The storm is so great that they're afraid that the waves would break the ship apart. Y'all don't want to help me today. Remember, you're not the ship. You are in the ship. You are in the mechanism that God has designed to use to get you safely to shore. I like to think that the ship is Christ, which he don't need no undergirding. But if Christ could have had a bodily form on this earth, it would be the church. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't, y'all don't want to preach. Y'all don't want to help me preach. Y'all don't want to help me do. All you need to do next, baby, is you need to undergird your ship. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. This ain't the time for you to say, I don't want to come to church. This ain't the time to be like, I got to worry about stuff I got going on in my life. You need to undergird the thing that is designed to help you carry you to your destination. In most cases, you don't. When you're in your storm, you worry about you, yourself, and you. You and yours. I need rest. I need a break. I need this. I need that. You're in the middle of a storm. You better undergird the mechanism that is designed by God who created the church as his body to carry you safely ashore. Amen. Now you're going through. You ain't even going to undergird. You ain't going to add no more extra support. You're going to break off no extra tithes and offerings, no extra volunteer hours. But you expect us to hold under this pressure. No, 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 don't break in the storm. You, look how many people going through storms. Look at this is what I preached about on Wednesday night. Look how many of my members are going through things. And rather than pouring in, you just take and expect this thing to be here to carry you, help you get safely to shore. Pastor, preach a word. Pastor, bring the word. Pastor, help. Everybody, Lord, help. Lord, come. How do you think this is going to happen? You need to undergird. I got to go on vacation. Ain't you in the middle of a storm? I can't come to church today. Ain't you in the middle of a storm? I got to go to work today. Ain't you in the middle of a storm? Undergird the mechanism that is designed to help carry you safely to heaven to glory, to your final destination. Because those winds are beating against this ship for you. The church is in a battle, not because of the church, because of you in the church. If you weren't in here, I wouldn't have to deal with this. Because Satan wants to destroy you, and you are safe in the ship, and the ship is trying to hold you and carry you safely without you drowning because you don't know how to swim. Hello, somebody. And if you could, you couldn't swim through this. The least you could do was undergird the ship. Jesus. The brethren came by my house. Now, you don't even know what a blessing that was to me. Pastor, we're here to help you with that. Just that warmed my heart. In a place I didn't even know I needed. It's different when it's just me and Tori, I get one or two. But mostly all the men showed up. Shovels and ready to go. Oh, it's so nice of you. It's beautiful. I love it. Thank you. 
You can't do for me what I do for you. But what you can do to undergird, to give any amount of relief to an already stressed out boat, any amount of support to something that is already taking a beating, finances, push, in church drama, homosexuality, drugs and alcohol, push, bad adults not being role models, push, bad testimonies, push, gets the glory. Tie some ropes, undergird it. You can tell we're in the middle of a storm, but you're stupid to start beating up at your own ship. Stupid ship. <laughs> when you decide to beat up on the ship that's carrying you ashore, you're out. You'll hear me say something like, I'll devour you. Under any other circumstance, that might have worked in any other time. But my church is currently in the midst of a huge storm, a huge tempest. And I know the purpose of it. They don't. So the last thing I need you doing is beating up my ship where we're trying to get safely ashore. If you can't discern that this is a storm, set sail, boo, on your own. You only came here because we was a safe place in the midst of your storm. You used us to take a break from your storm. And then when we do something you don't like, which is correct you, now you got to go. And you don't just go quietly to me. No, you go pointing fingers, trying to pick out the boards of my ship, cause weak areas. I, mean, I will destroy you in Jesus' name. I got precious cargo. I have precious cargo trying to make it to heaven. Next, after they undergirded the ship, this is the part that most people don't understand. They have to lighten the ship. There are three stages of lightening your ship. The first is what happens here. Everything that was designed just because of comfort and preferences are kicked off the ship. First, comforts and preferences. When you are in the midst of a storm, dear loved ones, you cannot afford to have preferences. We in the midst of the storm, but we need to keep that microwave. No. <laughs> we, we in the midst of the storm, but we need to be able to keep that extra, that extra blanket over there. No, you get one blanket. No, we in the midst of the storm, but I would just prefer. I would just prefer. I would just prefer. I would just prefer that it goes like this. I would prefer that God would do this. I would prefer. You need to let go of all of those preferences because they are weighing down your ship. And you need your ship to be light enough to go with the waves and not be crushed against them. Your preferences and comforts are weighing you down. Amen. Let go of some of them expenses. You don't need all that. You'll be all right. Let go of some of this other stuff. You'll be fine. If you, start, if you, if you really knew like I knew in the midst of the storm, you really feel like you're drowning, you better lighten some stuff. 
you sink in terms of, but I can't let go of my TV. <laughs> you got a car, right? Help me out. Yeah. You sink it, but you got to have the internet. If you have a car, you can drive to free Wi-Fi. It's everywhere. And who knows, maybe you going to free Wi-Fi might put a pattern in your life where you're no longer procrastinating because the comfort of having it at your home means you don't really take advantage of it. So you don't need internet if you have a car. That's a preference. That's a comfort. I'm just using that as an example. I'm sure this is probably somebody in real life, but I'm just using it as an example. You have a preference, things you prefer, and it's weighing you down. Now the internet bill. Now this other bill. Now I got to pay for the gas. I got to do this. I got to do that. Lighten your load. You ain't trying to make profit. First thing got to go, preferences and comforts. We was, we was carrying this cargo so we can flip that and get some money over here. Okay, new plan. Stay alive. You trying to come up in the midst of a storm that's going to take you out. I'm trying to make a little extra cash. I'm trying to get some stuff from my savings. <laughs> I'm trying to invest. <laughs> you about dead. This is not where you at right now. And you don't want to realize it. You in survival. No, I'm, I'm trying to level up. Because this, this inability to level up is causing stress and tension. And then you end up feeling more depressed because your goal is not just to live anymore. Your goal is to live abundantly and abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. Ninja, how about we just pay the bills on time? Let's do that part. Y'all forgetting my budget classes. You first pay bills on time. Then you save. You don't save with bills behind. That's called stealing. That's not yours. If you owe someone and you're trying to save, you are stealing. They'll even work with you. We'll give you the minimum payment. You'll be like, I ain't going to do the minimum. Bump that. I'm going to put this in my bank. You made an agreement with these people. You let me have this money up front. I'll pay this little bit until it's paid off. Then they give you the money up front. Then you renege on your agreement. And you want God to bless your finances. How, thief? Thief, 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 thief. <laughs> now my credit score is low because you're a thief. Your credit score low is indicating that you are not trustworthy. That's why it's a credit score. So now everybody know you are a thief. Everybody know you're a thief. Because if you at least made minimum payments, your credit score would not be that low. That means you were stealing from somebody and everybody know it. I don't know why they won't give me a high credit score. Because you're a thief. You are not credit. Thieves are not credit worthy. Let me borrow that for a little bit. No. Let me borrow that and I'll pay it back. No. And denied. 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 Tough, ain't it? Because you could already see how many changes you have to make about how you live. 
You better lighten that ship. Comforts, preferences, your original goals. Do you feel this wind? Do you feel this storm? Throw them goals off the side of the ship. <laughs> Throw them overboard. I'm about to, you ain't, I don't know what I'm about to do, Pastor. What I'm trying to do right now is I am trying to make it to glory. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it to the other side. I don't even know what new goal I should have, but I know right now I'm not going to survive this storm if I don't do something. Some of you can see that you don't have the strength to survive this storm, and God is trying to give you wisdom to go through it. Let go of your goals. I know, but I have to have a vision. Shut up. At this part of your storm, your vision is hindering you. You can't see. They said they prayed for daylight. They couldn't even tell whether it was nighttime or daytime. That's how bad the storm was for days. For three days, the sun never shone. It's just dark. Hello? Is it daytime? I don't know. They have clocks. They have watches. And what they will use to tell the time, can't see. You don't even know what time it is or what day it is, Jill. We just. Next lightning of the ship. There's another lightning of the ship that comes next. They had to throw the tackle overboard. What is tackle? Tactical equipment is what tackle stands for. Tactical is tactical equipment. Tackle is tactical equipment. On a ship, it is the rigging and gear used to work the boat's sails. It's what you use to manipulate the sails in the direction you want the ship to go. Since you said you were going to let her drive. Since you said you were going to let God take control, since you said you were going to let God lead the way, take you, you were going to trust God, then you don't need tackle. Come on, somebody. You might as well throw overboard all the ways that you try to manipulate certain situations in order for it to take you where you think it needs to go. You don't need none of that rigging. The anger that you use to get you to do something you know you ain't got no business doing. You need to throw that overboard. The label you gave yourself, I'm a thug. I'm from them streets. You need to throw that overboard. Because you use that label. I'm abused. I'm independent. I'm a lone wolf. Whatever it is, you use those labels in order to pull up something you need to start pulling on sales. You try to control where this ship is going. But you said you were going to let God take control, which means you don't need no labels. You don't need no plans. You don't need no rigs, no ropes, and no other manipulative devices. You're going to have to let God take care of it because you ain't pulling yourselves nowhere. Throw it overboard. Lighten your ship of labels. Lighten your ship of manipulative tactics. Hey, you got to say the story in such a way. I got to call them and tell them, and I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell the other person that, and then all that all that planning you're doing throw it overboard and you know when your brain start doing the tick it start running faster than you can actually say it you start getting feelings about what you're gonna do before you actually put it into words that's the thing you need to throw overboard you like 
you just what? You just what? See, you even put it into the words. But what you're doing is you're starting to pull up them ropes, tie them ropes to that sail, because you're about to try to move this thing in a different direction. The curse words right on the tip of your tongue. The phone number right on the tip of your fingertips. The text message halfway, halfway written. <laughs> you almost got the text message already wrote. Email almost gone. Hello? You already went in the store and started looking around. Am I preaching in your house today? In order to go through the storm, you need to throw away your tackle. You ain't setting no sales. You're not working on your sales. You got one sale. That's the main sale. That is it. That's the big boy. Huh? Big boy got to come down. Wind too strong. I'm going to stay this rope for when I can, you know. You said you were going to let her drive. What you need that for? Close them legs. Take that post down. You ain't that single. Take that picture down. What you trying to get? Stop trying to word that in such a way. You ain't, you ain't got none of that. Tackle. Tackle. Hello? All these things, these, these tools and devices you use to try to get something to go in the direction you need to go. Tackle. I'm going to tell my grandmama that. Throw it overboard. So I'm just supposed to just whatever happens, happens. A little bit. A little bit. There's something you're supposed to do. But we're not there yet. Second time you lighten your shit, first time is preferences and comfort. Second time is all of your manipulative, manipulative tactics, your tackle. Next, in order to go through a storm, you have to take soundings. On a ship, they take soundings by sending a noise out to see how long it takes for the echo to bounce back. Hello, 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 hello. Anybody there? Anybody there? Anybody there? Anybody there? So you send out soundings to see how close you are to your destination, to see if there's land. Paul had already been told by God in a vision after they were at sea for about three days, God said, you and the people with you are going to make it to Rome. But you're going to have to run on ground on some island somewhere. But y'all going to make it, right? So they lightened the ship so far two times. They threw over the tackle, comforts, and preferences. They secured the skiff and undergirded the ship. They have not eaten. He's been fasting. They've been fasting. It's gone on about 14 days. No one has eaten a thing. Primarily because they don't know how long. See, at some point they gave up and said, we're not going to be saved. No ship is going to come find us. We're at the mercy of the sea. We don't know how long this is. So we're going to go as long as we can without eating. In case it's even longer than we anticipate. This is the problem with millennials. Is you don't ever want to adjust your necessities for the length of time that you might be in this situation. You like to deceive yourself 
that something's going to happen. And so you gobble up all your food and then be mad at God that you're hungry later. When you didn't need none of that food on day 14. I know a man fasted 360 days, only water and then later vitamins. He was well over 300 pounds. He knew he had 300 pounds plus, well, 100, yeah, 200 pounds of fat that his body can consume. Hello? Anybody got any fat somewhere? Don't nobody on this world got no fat. Everybody else, <laughs> you out. You ain't got no fat. Who else? Shahida, you out. You ain't got no fat. Sister Net, you, you borderline. Right? The rest of us, Kayla, you way out. The rest of us, if you can pinch an inch, if you can pinch an inch, you got two pounds at least of fat. No, no, no. You, you don't burn a pound a day. You burn about five ounces. Two pounds of fat could roughly take you maybe four to five days. Uh-huh. Your body takes fat, because that's what it is. It's stored energy. You ate a lot, and your body said, ooh, we're going to keep this for rough times. We don't ever have enough rough times. So it keeps saying we're going to keep it for rough times. But you won't let your body have rough times. Y'all don't want to help me today. Oh, you don't want to help me today. You, won't, you don't want to help me today because you don't like pain. So your body said we're going to keep this for rough times, but you don't ever let rough times happen. I walk the course on fast days. People say, how? I say, I got enough fat. Well, I'm not going to pass out walking the course without eating. I got enough fat that my body can say, ooh, we so tired, we so hungry. Take the fat, make this energy. Sugar, boom, I'm good. Your body burns, takes the fat, and turns it into energy when you don't eat. Because you're so adverse to pain, ooh, my stomach is growling. Ooh, I'm tired. Ooh, I need to eat. Since you're so adverse to pain, your body never really has a chance to use the stuff that is stored. After 14 days of not eating, you're going to look pretty thin. But they said, we don't know how long this is going to last. We're going to try not to eat for as long as we can. Right? Around the 14th day, some of the sailors felt like, I feel like we're getting close to land. Can't really see nothing. You know, the wind, the temperature is feeling funny. It might be some land out here. So they start taking soundings. Y'all some land up here somewhere, and they get excited, right? Paul's like, uh-oh, guys, it's been 14 days. It's time to eat. What? It's time to eat. He says, we're going to eat for survival. We're going to eat. You're going to now, now you need energy. You did not need any of this when you were trusting God to get you through it. Now you need something to go the extra couple of miles. So now we're going to eat, and then whatever we can't eat now, we're going to lighten the ship again and throw the remainder of the food 
every time you lighten your ship, you are making a further commitment that you trust God even more. Not only do I trust that you're going to take it, take me through it, hello somebody, and I'm going to let go of my preferences and comforts. Then I trust that you're going to guide me so I'm going to let go of my tackle. Then I trust that you are going to get me to shore without me starving to death, and I'm going to let go of necessities. There's a point in your ship driving in storms that you have to let go of necessities. You go, I can't let go of that. That's that how I'm living. Man, I should not live by bread alone. You could die in the storm and never eat again. Or you can trust God, eat your meal, and throw the rest overboard. They lightened the ship for the last and third time. And that was they got rid of necessities that they thought were going to keep them alive. Is it only you? Only you can keep us alive. Here's the land. You think we're getting close. It's up to you. While they were throwing the food overboard, decided to drop anchor, which is your next step. You got to drop anchor. They dropped four anchors. They dropped four anchors off of the uh, pow of the ship. The pow of the ship is at the bow of the ship. The bow of the ship, excuse me. The pow of the ship is at the bow of the ship. The pow is a part of the bow that is raised above water. They dropped four anchors off the pow of the ship. This, in essence, the anchors would drag along the bottom of the ocean floor, the sea floor. So in case the ground is a lot closer than they can tell, the anchors will hold them and stop them from running against the rocks and crashing. So they dropped anchors, which is your next step. You have to learn when to sit down. In church, I sit people down for all types of behaviors and problems and situations. But I prefer when people recognize in of themselves that they're headed for shipwreck and they decide to sit themselves down. This doesn't mean you stop coming to church. No, you need the church. You undergirded the ropes. That's where you are. But this does mean that you recognize I'm headed for shipwreck. I'm participating in behaviors that are coming too close to the rock's edge. And I don't know if I'm going to survive this. So I cannot do things that nobody drops an anchor while they're, while they're sailing. You drop an anchor when you see the land. I cannot see the land, but I'm going to do something different. I'm going to drop my anchors here so that I don't shipwreck. Right? So they drop the anchors. You need to learn when to sit down, when to buckle down, when to anchor yourself. It's not a good time if you just let your emotions, I'm going to say whatever I want to say. Mm-mm, mm-mm, bad idea. You're going to hit them rocks. I got to get this off my chest. Shh, you don't need to get nothing off your chest, man. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. But I just feel I just need to do this. Shh, shh. Well, I ain't going to ever let nobody talk to me. I'm never going to ever let that happen. Shh. You see these oceans? You see these? You got rocks coming. What, I, what is really happening is you are almost to your destination. And you're getting ready to ruin it because you don't know how to calm down. You've come this far. You made it to this point. And now you're going to start letting this thing toss you around. You better drop anchor, lay low, and brace yourself. Letting the fatigue of the journey drive you crazy. 
Calm down. Anchor yourself. When it seems like I can't ever, shh. Don't, don't say that. Anchor yourself. It seems like I can't ever seem to, shh. Anchor yourself. It seems like it always happens in my life and I'm always, shh. Anchor yourself. Drop truth down before you run aground and break into pieces. There are times back here in the deep where you can have all of them words, say all those things, act all those kind of crazy ways. Now you're too close to the destination. You play that up this close, you're going to end up shipwrecking. There's always rocks before land. There's always a huge amount of rocks. That's why you have ocean breaks. The breakers, you know when the water turns white at the seashore? That white that you're seeing is because there are rocks, breakers out in the deep that the water underneath pushed against those breakers, then pushed the waves up, and what you see is the result of that. The breakers happen long before the shore. If you don't know how to drop anchor, you're gonna you're gonna shipwreck. You drop anchor to make sure that you're not going all witchy watchy and crazy trying to do the same thing you was doing out here in the deep. You ain't at the deep no more. You ain't on the yard no more. You ain't in the streets no more. You're not by yourself no more. You're not alone anymore. You're not unloved anymore. You're not being abused anymore. You're not you're not all by yourself anymore. You're not out there anymore. Drop anchor. Settle down. Sit down. Don't go out there in the streets. Anchor yourself. That's the point. You trying to live like you did when you were just surviving. We too close to the shore now. What do I anchor myself on? Anything that you can grab. <laughs> Hold on to it. Brace yourself. Because it's just a matter of time. This water is going to calm down, and we're going to be able to take this skiff and walk on to the last mile. Hello? But we ain't going to go in like this. Drop anchor. Learn how to drop anchor. I'm out here in the deep by myself? No. You're in a family of believers building the empire of Christ. Drop anchor. No, it's always been like in my life. Shh, you ain't out there in your life no more. You in a new life. This is see, this part of the ocean is not like where you've been. So there's a different way. Hello? You ain't in a cult no more, huh, Gabby? No. I had to teach you. I'm still teaching you that this is a different way. We do stuff different here at Renew. Right. Well, I just feel shut up. Drop anchor. <laughs> we get shipwrecked. Mm. Right? You drop anchor. You took soundings. Now, some people on the ship decided to deceive others and act like they were dropping anchors. But what they were really doing, they were trying to drop the skiff because they was going to get on the boat and paddle ashore and sneak out. Mm -hmm. They was like, yeah, we're going to let down the anchors. But really, we're trying to find a way out. And we think we found a way out. Now, this is the thing. They're going to take the skiff. Nobody else can use the skiff. There are people that don't know how to swim. 
This gift is a necessity for people that don't know how to swim. So you going to take this gift under pretense that you're helping us out? And all you're really doing is looking out for yourself? They see them lowering down the skiff. They in there like, all right, bye, y'all. What? Yeah, we're going to go try to make a run for it. Paul stands up. He says, look, if they leave off this ship, none of us are surviving. Whoa, 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 Paul. Nope. See, God already said that we're probably going to lose the ship, but we won't lose any life. If they get off the ship, we're losing life. Could you imagine that God is trying to let you know that your selfish actions could actually hinder the survival of other people you're on the ship with? This is the part of your foulness you don't want to come to grips with. That how you behave, looking out for yourself, could tear somebody else's life apart. The ship and the people in it could suffer loss because you decided that it was a good time to look out for you. You're so used to finding a way out. You're so used to finding an escape, a way to break away from it. So used to seeing how you can make a comeback and get out of this. And I, you know, I finessed that and I, I got out of it. You're so used to seeing it that as soon as you see it, you don't even, have no, how to, don't even know how to ignore it. So used to your old patterns. You, the heck with everybody else. The heck with the church. The heck with the undergirding ship. The heck with the rest of the people that's in there. No, nah, no, nah, I got to look out for me, son. You wouldn't even be close enough to get to the skiff if it wasn't for Paul. You don't even understand what a blessing it is to have someone, that's, as, the, as uh, Matthew Henry says, who has intercourse with heaven and can live it right in front of your life, right in front of your eyes. That that is the blessing that someone could communicate with heaven and then live that and then boldly step up and say, hey, don't you do that or people are going to die. Where would they have been if Paul wasn't on the ship? Kasunk. Paul was the voice that stood up and say, that is not in the will of God. I think it's just fine. We'll send it back when, when we get over to the land. Shut up. Shut up with all that. That's not God's plan. I don't understand. Eventually, we all got to get on the skip, so we might as well go ahead and be the first ones to go. It just seemed like we're going to be the first ones. We'll go. We'll let y'all know. See how you're reasoning? Everything about your reasoning is just self-preservation. Now you're trying to make it right. But it's very clear that that is not the will of God. God declared that they would make it alive. Hello? The assurance, this is a, from Eliot's commentary, the assurance that had been graciously given to them was to be realized. Watch this quote. Not by the apathy of a blind fatalism, but by man's cooperation. What is the apathy of blind fatalism? Apathy is the state of indifference or the suppression of emotions. Apathy is the state of indifference mm -hmm. or the suppression of emotions. 
That's apathy. Apathy says, whatever, man, I don't even care no more. Knowing that you did originally care, and you care so much, and it's not going in the direction you want to go, so now you're trying to yourself, I don't want to care. Huh? Hello? Man, whatever. Man, I'm just not going to even fool up with that. Man, I don't even care no more. Man, it is what it is. Man, whatever. You can miss me with all of that. That's always to say apathy. Suppression of emotions and a lack of interest. So the commentary says, Ellicott says, that this particular act, when it comes to working with God, this cooperation, it can't be apathy of a blind fatalism. What is fatalism? Fatalism is a philosophical doctrine emphasizing the subjection of all events or actions to fate. In essence, you know how you say, well, since God's will going to be done anyway, I don't even care. Since he's going to do whatever he want to do, I don't even care. I'm over it. I mean, God's will going to be done regardless, so what difference does it make? I don't have no feelings about it since he's going to do whatever he wants to do. That is apathetic fatalism. What this example, dear loved ones, shows is that God does not move like that. That there are distinct actions that you and I can do that will change the decree that God intended for you. Let me show you what I mean. When it comes to God, he, when he sets a plan of salvation in motion, it comes with the plan. When God wants to save you, hello? The end, which is salvation, is not determined without the means. When it comes to God, the end is not determined without the means. What, is, what am I trying to say? If I'm going to save you, I am also going to create the means by which you are saved. That's why Jesus is the way, the truth. And the, there is a means by which salvation will come. Paul, I'm going to save all of the lives on this ship. But there's a means by which I'm going to save them. And Paul had to stand up and say, that is not how God wants to save us. If you don't get back in this boat, we're going to have loss of life. It is a cooperation with God. Getting back on the boat doesn't save you. Getting back in the boat is you agreeing with the means that God intended to save you. The apostles took the Old Testament laws and wrote down a whole bunch of New Testament laws. You know, like, uh, as believers, you got to trust God, but don't have any sexual immorality. Don't lie. Don't do this kind of stuff. And that's pretty much the basics. One of the biggest problems we have in the church is sexual immorality. From the leaders down. I mean, not, not me. I, I said leaders, like, in general. Right? I ain't about that side of life. I mean, I have been, but I'm not now. D don't worry about it. All right, let's just move on. All right. I'm not without sin. 
what I'm trying to say. But sexual immorality is one of the hardest sins in a person because you sin against your own flesh. In essence, you, you get your body to help you do what your soul doesn't want to do. In sexual immorality and things of that nature, you tell your body to release hormones that make you more connected to a person. So now your flesh is working against you even more so, against your heart, your mind. You know you shouldn't be doing it, but you can't help yourself now. Why? Because more, more hormones, physiologically, you're producing more and more hormones to get you attached to this person that you know you ain't supposed to be doing this with. You're sitting against your own self. You're making it harder for yourself. All sins are the same in the eyes of God, yes, but all sins do not affect you the same. Sexual immorality is rampant. Being free from sexual immorality does not save you. Being free from sexual immorality says that I agree with the means to which I am to receive my salvation. If the Bible says it's a no, it's a no. You better get back in that boat. Do you understand? There's a means, a way that is supposed to be established for you to actually get to heaven and then be raised from the dead and, have, and live everlasting. There is a way to it. And when he decided about salvation, he also decided about the way to which it would be administered in your life. Because Christ was slain from the foundations of the earth. So the way was already set when he decided to save you. So you having some bright idea about how you figured out a new way to be saved is really working against the very thing you say you want. If you want to be saved, get your butt back in this boat. Get back in the boat. I think I can do it this way. You can't. How you know? Because I read the Bible. And I talk to God. How you think it can happen that way? Because you know yourself. <laughs> I know God. You know you. I don't know about this. Where did you get this information from? The Twitter? You get it from the top talk? You have to get back in the boat. There's a means for salvation. And true believers, listen to another quote, and I'm going to let you go. So they said that the assurance had been graciously given was to be realized not by uh, apathy of blind fatalism, but by man's cooperation. And that's it. Just because God, you say God's will is going to be done anyway, if he want me to be saved, I'll just be saved. Baby, that's not how that works. He said the means to include your cooperation. You can't tell the person that decided to save you that you want to be saved another kind of way. This is the hardest thing I have to do with people when it comes to their selfishness and their self-will. Is they want God to deliver them, to save them a particular way. 
And I say to them, the longer you want God to deliver you a particular way, the longer you're going to stay in bondage. Because the first thing you got to do when you have a life-threatening storm is get rid of your preferences. Did you anger God? Did you cause the storm? Was it somebody else? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it apart from you? Either way, you stuck out here in the midst of this thing, and it's clear that you can be taken under. I think you need to let go of how you want to be saved and hold to the means that God has intended for you. It doesn't make no logical sense. I try to sit here and think about it. Well, how? I mean, would they need to stay in the boat because of the weight capacity? I mean, Paul wouldn't have known that. It's too many, too, too less weight. He's perfectly calculated. No, no, he wouldn't have known that. Logically, I cannot think of any reason why these people had to stay in the boat other than the logic that God was going to provide salvation. I think that's sufficient. If you want to be saved from darkness, if you want to stop dying and live, have real life, then you have to have that through Christ. There's nothing else under the sun on this earth that could give you that. You've tried most of it. It did not work. And you still can't reason with judgment. Everything was great. It was the best time of my life. I was so loved. I had so much sex. It was so great. I was just living my best life. I was really doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But in the back of mind, your mind, you were still worried about that judgment day. Couldn't reconcile that, could you? Because I don't think a God that would die for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, to give you power to resist and to live for him, would be okay with you living for yourself and doing it however way you want to do it. If I say, I'm going to give you a million dollars, but I need you to sweep the floor. Now somebody said, well, I don't feel like sweeping the floor, but you know, I'll, 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 I'll do the Windex, I'll do the windows. What would you say? You had a million dollars you was giving to somebody. They was like, nah, I'm not even, I'm not in there sweeping that floor. You automatically know the value of what you offer, and you'll go, mm, no. Now, you know that, and you're human. You think an all-wise God doesn't know the value of eternal life? People want eternal life so much, they're trying to come up with all kinds of ways to live forever. You think he don't know the value of eternal life? And if he's the only one that can offer it, I think you need to do it by the means he offers it, not yours. So just saying, oh, since it's going to be God's will, going to be done anyway. If he want me to be saved, I'm going to be saved. Mm. See how little you know? That's why you in a ship trying to get you to glory. If not, you'd be out there swimming with your own arms, and they weak. God was going to save me anyway. No, no, baby. This is an example of his salvation, and he uses the cooperation of man. You're going to cooperate with the means. And if you really believe that I'm going to save you, then you would intensely look for the means to make sure that you bring about what exactly what God intended. I, I, I can't think of it. Let me, let me read it the way somebody else said it because maybe that might help. God who appointed the end that they should be saved appointed the means. That they should be saved by the help of these shipments. Duty is ours. Events are God's. We do not trust God, but tempt him 
when we say we put ourselves under his protection, if we do not use proper means such as within our power for our safety. Because you're tempting God to say that you trust him and then try to find other ways to get what you want, other ways to do it. You're not inviting him in, you're tempting him. Tempting God to, to have his wrath. I trust you, but I'm gonna go ahead and, and take this skiff. What? I think this is a good time, this is a good way. Ain't nobody told you to drop a skiff? Can you imagine if you was Paul or some of the other seamen and you saw them trying to bail? You'd be indignant. You'd be irate. You'd be upset. You'd be all of those words. How could you? How dare you? We was in this together. We was not eating together. No, we ate together. We doing all this stuff so we could all can make it to the other side. You're going to be looking out for yourself. You'll be so 98 hot. Am I right? But you expect God to look at you, claiming you trust him, but then go to find ways to satisfy your own selfish desires and you expect him to think that that's cute. Or do you provoke him to wrath? Hello? Yeah, y'all still with me? Yeah, 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 guys. The sorrow of the world works death while joy in God's life, while joy in God is life and peace in the greatest distressors and dangers. With Sister Kenyatta passing this morning, I am inundated with grief. My only solace is that I truly believe I'm just passing through here. Some of you haven't gotten to that point yet. But pain has a way of reminding you that you do not belong here. I'm just passing through. I have a true destination, a glorious shore. And all of these storms and waves are designed to carry me to that place. Some of them will be calm and some of them will be tumultuous, but all of them will work together for my good to get me to that holy shore. You're gonna have storms but how you get through them matters. Paul and the rest of the men, they cut the skiff, told them boys to get back in the boat. They got back in the boat, and a little bit later, the ship ran aground. Two places where the seas met caused some what's the thing, with the, not the top of the wave, but the bottom of the wave, the trough. Thank you. And it ran the ship's uh, bow into the sand. 
So now the ship, the front of the ship, stuck in the sand. The back of the ship, not stuck in the sand. And the, the wind is beating the crap out of the ship. In order to go through the storm, sometimes your butt got to get beat. It's just the truth. Sometimes if you back here in the back, you're going to get your butt beat. You need to get your tail up to the front. Because the wind was breaking the back of the ship into pieces. The front of the ship stuck in the sand. They all like, ah, the back of the ship. People in the back of the ship, oh, God, the back of the ship. One of the guards says, let's kill all, the, uh, all of the captives. I mean, they're criminals. Don't want criminals escaping. But since Paul was such a great help, even those who were destined for death were saved. They convince him, don't, 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 don't kill the, the prisoners because of Paul. <laughs> but what we'll do is those that can swim, you guys go ahead and start swimming. And those that can't swim, watch this. The ship is breaking up into pieces. Grab a piece of this ship, bring it into yourself and use it to get ashore. Y'all don't want to help me today. You thought the worst thing that could happen was that ship getting battered. You thought the worst thing that could happen was the church going through. The pastor got sick. You think that all this stuff was bad. Baby, this ship was designed to get you ashore. And you don't even need a skiff to get there. All you got to do is take a piece of this ship that you undergirded. Take a piece of this ship that you helped to help carry you through. You take that. And if you're not even ready to swim, because a Jew is ready to swim. A Jew has in themselves the belief of God. But you might be a Gentile and you ain't got got no God in you. You wasn't raised in the church. You didn't have a healthy child life. You don't know really what's going on. But all you know is you got a piece of this ship that was broken for you. Come on, somebody. Take that ship into you. And you use that to float you ashore. Standing all over the house. 